All right, I hope everyone is uh, doing okay and, and well. Good morning to everybody. Um, my prayer is that the only fever you get is cabin fever, and that uh, uh, with the beautiful spring day we have outside, you may uh, be able to go take a walk or something. I, I hope to get a little bit of yard work done, and uh, after being cooped up here, uh, yard work uh, never looked so good to me. Seems like uh, and feels like we're in a parallel universe, almost in the middle of a nightmare or a bad dream, wondering, okay, when does it all end and, and we wake up? But spring has begun and um, uh, daylight savings time occurred here, here recently. And uh, Andrea ran into a, a German joke on online a few days ago. It basically said, uh, I wish we could turn back the clock to 2019 and just keep it there. <laughs> so uh, I think a lot of us feel that way. God's people have faced adversity before. And uh, so the title of the sermon this morning is 400 to 1. And the topic comes from 1 Kings chapter 21 and 22 where Micaiah walks into a room full of false prophets telling Ahab exactly what he wants to hear and not necessarily what he needs to hear. We might say he walked into a buzzsaw or he walked into a hornet's nest. Nest That's an image that we often use. Uh, a few years ago, Andrea and I were in Seychelles and we were uh, doing some gospel work there, but um, we went on an adventure tour one afternoon and there were a couple of members of the, the local church there that were adventure guides. And they walked us through um, some uh, nature trails on, on the island. And um, there was this one archway that we had to pass through and it was full of hornets. And these were the biggest, meanest hornets I've ever seen in my life. I was, uh, afraid to even approach the thing. And uh, he told me, you know, this time of year, they're docile, just take a deep breath and, and walk right through this thing and you're gonna be fine. I didn't want anything to do with getting near these things, but uh, eventually did exactly what he told me and, it, and we were fine. But Micaiah walks into this room and these hornets that he's walking into in the form of false prophets are very alive and well. And he is one solitary, solitary servant of God who is going to come in and spoil the whole party. And so it's not, uh, not necessarily a, a happy occasion for him, but, but a very necessary one. You have in the, the background here, um, Ahab, King Ahab, we've run into Ahab and, and Jezebel before, two of the, the great villains of the Bible. In the background of this, Ahab is spineless, Jezebel is heartless, and together they become extremely ruthless. I'll have three basic points this morning, and they are defying God's law, hearing God's sentence, and receiving God's judgment. You have initially in... Uh, 1 Kings chapter 21, the idea of defying God's law, you have this famous uh, land grab scheme. Uh, Naboth has a vineyard, and it's next to the king's palace in Jezreel. Ahab wants 
the uh, vineyard. And so he offers uh, Naboth money or a trade-in. I'll give you a better vineyard. You give me your vineyard, whatever. And Naboth's response in verse 3 of chapter 21 is, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. And so Ahab goes back into his inner room, his house, vexed and sullen. And uh, he uh, is downcast. He's moping. He's dejected and uh, despondent. And so, uh, you know, what would, uh, what would cause Naboth to be so firm about that? Well, in Leviticus 25, verse 23, we read, The land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine, for you are strangers and sojourners with me. Or Numbers 36, verse 7, The inheritance of the people of Israel shall not be transferred from one tribe to another. The, uh, uh, for, for every tribe of the people of Israel shall hold on to the inheritance of the tribe of his fathers. Or Ezekiel 46, 18, The prince shall not take um, any of the inheritance of the people, thrusting them out of their property, he shall give his sons their inheritance out of his own property, so that none of my people shall be scattered from his property. Ironically enough, Jezreel means God scatters, and you have a lot of scattering going on in this passage. Well, anyway, Jezebel comes across her husband, uh, Ahab, sees his despondent condition, and she says, why are you moping around here? Um, uh, I'll fix everything besides you're the king. As, uh, as, uh, as someone has said, we have an official lie on official stationery with the official royal seal. And so um, uh, this uh, famous land grab, grab uh, scheme continues on. And uh, in chapter 21 of First Kings, uh, Verse uh, uh, 10, beginning, uh, she set two worthless uh, men opposite him and let them bring a charge against him, saying, You have cursed God and the king, and take him out and stone him to death. And the men of the city, the elders and leaders who lived in the city, did as Jezebel had sent word to them. Um, as it is written in the letters that she had sent to them, they proclaimed a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people, and the two worthless men came in and sat opposite him. And the worthless men brought a charge against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. They took him outside the city and stoned him to death with stones. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned, he is dead. As soon as Je uh, Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive but dead. And as soon as Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab arose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, to take possession of it. Uh, God is mentioned here, and yet not uh, the Lord or Yahweh specifically, and so it may well be that uh, the God that... Uh, uh, Naboth supposedly violated was Baal, uh, for all we know. But uh, certainly uh, Jezebel and Ahab introduced this Baal worship back into Israel. But to add to that idolatry, uh, they add coveting, lying, murder, and theft. And all of those add up to half of the Ten Commandments here. Uh, 
um, which should be a, a scary thought to all of us. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, Romans 6, 23. Um, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. He who sows to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the spirit shall of the spirit reap eternal life, Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8. I'm also reminded of Proverbs 16, verse 18, which my mother quoted often when I was a kid growing up. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Um, Ahab and Jezebel certainly were filled with pride here. They defied God's law in a very presumptuous way and uh, extremely cruel, and Naboth paid a heavy price. Was it worth it? Was it worth it? Well, you have this sentence that comes down, and Elijah reappears on the stage. And so in uh, 1 Kings chapter 21, verses 17 uh, through 26, we read, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone in to take possession. And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, have you killed and also taken possession? And you shall go to him, thus says, uh, or say to him, thus says the Lord, in the place where the dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, shall the dogs lick up your own blood. Ahab said to Elijah, have you found me, O my enemy? He answered, I have found you, because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring disaster upon you. I will utterly burn you up and will cut you off, or cut off from Ahab every male, Wander free in Israel, and I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah, for the anger to which you have provoked me, and because you have made Israel to sin. And of Jezebel, the Lord also said, the dog shall eat Jezebel within the walls of Jezreel. Anyone belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dog shall eat. And anyone of his who dies in the open country, the birds of the heavens shall eat. And so we have uh, a, a terrible uh, pronunciation of, of judgment here. And the irony of this is um, Ahab seems to take this in stride and uh, at least exhibit a little bit of repentance. It's one of the ironies of, of the story. But uh, in verses 27 through 29, we read that when Ahab heard those words, he tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his flesh, and fasted, and lay in sackcloth, and went about dejectedly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the disaster in his days, but in his son's days I will bring the disaster upon his house. We may think uh, upon first glance at this that God is being too easy on Ahab, but one of the lessons here, I think, is that God allows our actions to ultimately reveal our hearts. We sometimes say that actions speak louder than words, and perhaps God knew that Ahab's repentance would be short-lived. We know, uh, knowing the rest of the story, that, that it was indeed, and as we sometimes say, talk is cheap. God gives us a blessing in allowing our own actions to play out. And ultimately, it's not a, a temporary 
uh, repentance and putting uh, sackcloth on the flesh and, and tearing clothes or fasting for a day or two that, that ultimately counts. Uh, I'm reminded of, of the case of Abraham who took his one and only son Isaac, his one and only heir, offered him as a sacrifice in keeping with the will of God, Genesis 22. And when he was about to slay him before the altar, uh, God says in Genesis 22, verse 12, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And so ultimately, our hearts are determined by our subsequent actions and not simply by our, our temporary resolve. Um, Proverbs 4, verse 23 says, keep your heart with all vigilance or out of it flow the streams of life. And so we need to guard our hearts. Uh, we may feel like we're under house arrest right now and not able to go whenever and wherever we may please. But we need to impose that, uh, uh, that kind of governance on our, our hearts, uh, particularly if we have any tendency to want to stray into unknown territory or, or, or that which would uh, lead us to sin. Ultimately, our hearts determine our actions, and ultimately, our actions determine our, our fate. So we must guard or keep our hearts within the, the sphere of God's will. So we have uh, hearing God's sentence and ultimately receiving God's uh, judgment. And this crisis passes, and Ahab reverts to his former wicked ways. Um, how many times? Have we known people who who expressed similar resolve as Ahab does here, and then the crisis passes, and then they revert to their former behavior? And so what eventually happens is you have war between Israel and Syria, and Ahab calls his friend um, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and the two of them prepare for battle against the, the Syrians. And you have 400 prophets getting together, and uh, this circus of false prophets is telling Ahab exactly what he wants to hear. It's like an echo chamber, affirming what he wants to hear rather than what he needs to hear. And they're all telling him, go up into the battle, you're going to win, you're going to prevail. And fortunately for Ahab, Jehoshaphat, verse 5 of chapter 22, says inquire first for the word of the Lord, and that's capital L-O-R-D. It may well be that these prophets are prophesying in the name of Baal. I, I'm not sure about that. But Jehoshaphat wants to hear a word from the Lord. So verse 6, the king of Israel gathered the prophets, about 400 men, and they say to them, uh, or he says to them, shall I go up against Ramoth Gilead or shall I refrain? And they say, uh, go up, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. It's interesting that it's L, lowercase little, letter O-R-D, and it, it may be, well be they were prophesying in the name of, of Baal. Again, I don't know. But Jehoshaphat responds to that, verse 7, is there not here another prophet of the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, that's Yahweh or Jehovah, of whom we may inquire. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, Micaiah, the son of Imla, but I hate him. 
For he never prophesies good things concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say so. And the king of Israel summoned an officer and said, bring quickly Micaiah, the son of Imla. Now the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones, arrayed in their robes at the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets were prophesying before them. And Zedekiah, the son of Canaanah, made for himself horns of iron and said, Thus says the Lord, with these ye shall push the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied so and said, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. And the messenger who went to summon Micaiah said to him, Behold, the words of the prophets with one accord are favorable to the king. Let your word be like the word of one of them and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that will I speak. And when he had come to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go up to Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall we refrain? And he answered him, Go up and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. He said to him, How many times shall I make you swear that you speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Yet I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each return to his home in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good to me but evil? Micaiah said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the hosts of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, who will entice Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? One said one thing and another said another. The spirit came forward and stood before the Lord saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, by what means? He said, I will go out and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, you are to entice him and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these your prophets. The Lord has declared disaster for you. And Zedekiah, the son of Canaanah, came near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, how did the spirit of the Lord go from me to speak to you? Micaiah said, behold, you shall see. On that day when you go into your inner chamber and hide yourself. And the king of Israel said, seize Micaiah and take him back to Anon, the governor of the city, and Joash, the king's son, and say, thus says the king, put this fellow in prison and feed him meager rations of bread and water until I come in peace. And Micaiah said, if you return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. He said, hear all you peoples. interesting passage to say uh, the least we have Micaiah versus 400 false prophets and uh, alluding to this fascinating scene in the heavenly realm of uh, a spirit uh, saying that he would operate through these false prophets to get Ahab to believe a lie I have more questions about this passage than I have answers but I do believe that uh, there's about as good a commentary as you'll find anywhere on it in the New Testament book of 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. 
2 Thessalonians 2, 9 through 12, the Apostle Paul says, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. That's all I'm going to say about that other than uh, ultimately you have the rest of the story and you have Ahab killed in battle. Verse 29, beginning of 1 Kings 22, 1 Kings 22, 29. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead and the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you will wear your robes. And the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. Now the king of Syria had commanded the 32 captains of his chariots, fight with neither small nor great, but only with the king of Israel. And when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, they said, it is surely the king of Israel. So they turned to fight against him and Jehoshaphat cried out. And when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. But a certain man drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the scale armor and the, and the breastplate. Therefore, he said to the driver of his chariot, turn around and carry me out of the battle, for I am wounded. And the battle continued that day, and the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Syrians until at evening he died. And the blood of the wound flowed into the bottom of his chariot. And about sunset, a cry went out through the army, every man to his city and every man to his country. So the king died and was brought to Samaria. And they buried the king in Samaria and they washed the chariot by the pool of Samaria and the dogs licked up his blood. And the prostitutes washed themselves in it according to the word of the Lord that he had spoken. And so everything that Elijah had prophesied is fulfilled. Ultimately, it will be filled with regard to Jezebel as well. Do we have here a lucky shot or something right on target? Is it coincidental or providential? Is it a random shot or is it a bullseye? And I believe the answer is yes to all of the above. It's uh, exactly all of that uh, in keeping with the fulfillment of God's prophecy. I want to close here with a, a few lessons. And uh, number one, from the very outset, there were tests of true prophecy versus false. We've gone over this recently, at least in our own church family, when we uh, went over uh, last year, the whole concept of how the New Testament and, and the biblical canon uh, was formed and how we got the Bible um, and, and all of that. Uh, but there are a lot of people who believe that the development of the canon was a, a natural evolutionary development over time, that it wasn't something that, that happened, but over a, a long period of time, over centuries, in fact. And I believe nothing could ultimately be, be farther from the truth. The acceptance of true prophets or genuine books of the Bible, for that matter, into the canon, it was not a gradual evolutionary process at all. The word of God was delivered to the people of God, and it was received by the people of God. 
And uh, not only so, but there were legitimate, verifiable revelations that were ultimately accepted into the canon because there were legitimate, verifiable tests of true prophecy versus false. And ultimately, all of this occurs at the outset of things, not at the end of a, a long evolutionary process. In Jude verse 3, for example, Jude speaks of the faith that was once for all delivered for, to the saints. So one time for all time, it was delivered to the saints. And not only was it delivered, it was received. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13, that I thank God because when you receive from us the word of God's message, you received it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which performs its work in you who believe. And those people of God who received it, received it uh, on the basis of legitimate, verifiable tests at the very outset of things. We sometimes speak of those tests. I like to think in terms of, of five ultimate tests. Was it written by a prophet of God, number one? Number two, was, was he confirmed by an act of God, either through um, fulfilled uh, predictive prophecy or some miraculous test of some sort? Number three, is his message consistent with previous revelations of God? Number four, is the message, uh, does it contain the power of God? And number five, was it ultimately received by the people of God at that time and received in, in repository uh, by the people of God to be passed on and ultimately published to, to the people of God for all time? The reason that we have a book of Jeremiah and not a book of Hananiah is because Jeremiah passed those tests. Hananiah did not. What Hananiah prophesied was not fulfilled. What, what Jeremiah prophesied was fulfilled, including the death of Hananiah in stunning detail. And the same principle uh, is true of M Micaiah versus Zedekiah. Why do we recognize Micaiah as a true prophet of God and Zedekiah as a false prophet? Ultimately, it's because what Zedekiah prophesied did not come to pass. What Micaiah prophesied did come to pass. And of course, the same thing applies here to Elijah, who prophesies the deaths of Ahab and Jezebel. A second lesson is, uh, whatever the odds, if we have God on our side, we will prevail. We may not like the odds 400 to 1, um, but ultimately, one man of God plus God is worth more than 400 false prophets any day of the week. Uh, I'm reminded of Joshua 23 and verse 10, where Joshua tells the people of Israel, one man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord God who fights for you, just as he promised. So if we have God on our side, we, we cannot be defeated. Uh, if you've ever felt that uh, you were in over your head, if you've ever felt that uh, you walked into a, a buzzsaw, if you have God, uh, you have far more than a, a vast majority uh, might have. Uh, see here, truth is not a numbers game. This is not a head count. It's not uh, a popularity contest. Um, and ultimately, even if it was Mike, Micaiah versus 400 prophets, uh, Micaiah had the truth, they did not. 
And we have to remember that in, in a world that has latched on to so much error. If we have the truth of God, we have the truth and it's not subject to majority rule. And finally, social conformity is not always the wide road, especially in an evil world. Uh, was there social conformity or social pressure to conform? Sure there was. Micaiah, as he walks into this buzzsaw or this hornet's nest, was told, you have 400 prophets here speaking in uniformity and unity. You join the party. Become one of them. And he could very, very well have done that. Initially, he tells Ahab what he wants to hear. I believe that, uh, you know, we don't know the tone of his voice or what the motive was behind that. Uh, this is a, an exercise or a game the two uh, men had played before because Ahab says, how, how long, how many times must I tell you to prophesy to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? So there evidently were previous occasions where Micaiah tells Ahab initially what he wants to hear, not what he needs to hear. And then he's pressured to tell him the truth, which he subsequently does, including this time. But... Uh, uh, you have all these 400 prophets, no detractors. Mike Micaiah walks in to that, becomes the one and only detractor. He could have become a chameleon and just played the game indefinitely. But uh, we all need to learn the lesson in this wicked world, uh, not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewal of our mind, that we may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Romans 12 and verse 2. So that is the lesson for today. From the very outset, there were true tests of, of true prophecy versus false. Why do we have the 66 books in our Bible and, uh, and not uh, the apocryphal books, for example? The very reasons why we accept Micaiah as a true prophet and uh, Zedekiah here as, as a false prophet. Whatever the odds, if we have God on our side, we will prevail. Three, truth is not a numbers game and four, Social conformity is not always the wide road, especially in this evil world. I thank you for your careful attention. Uh, we won't extend the Lord's invitation, but uh, we want you to know that that invitation is always available and we're here ready to serve you if we possibly can. Uh, let me just say at the uh, conclusion of this, may the Lord bless you and keep you through this difficult time. May he bless all of us and uh, keep us safe and may our light shine in this dark and evil world.